Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Ophthalmologist Dr. Strauss has seen firsthand how the metaverse is helping surgeons practice the procedures to treat cataracts. Cataracts are the primary cause of avoidable blindness. He works with a virtual reality training platform developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International to help surgeons develop the muscle memory they need. The result? More confident, capable surgeons. And even more importantly... Patients who can see. Explore more stories like Dr. Strauss's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. This is the Tom Hartman Program. Welcome back to the Tom Hartman Program, broadcasting on commercial radio stations from coast to coast on Sirius XM all across the North American continent, on Pacifica stations across America, Europe, and Africa, on American Forces Radio, and every U.S. military base in the world, on your electronic device via TuneIn, Progressive Voices, Tom Hartman app, and simulcast as television via Free Speech TV Network on Dish Network, DirecTV, and cable systems all over the country. So let's talk about economics. Libertarian economist and president of the Market Institute, Charles Sauer, is with us. He's the author of Profit Motive, What Drives the Things We Do. Marketinstitute.org is the website. Charles, welcome back to the show. Thanks for having me on. Kamala Harris came out with a plan, actually a multifaceted plan, to regulate drug prices in the United States. She said that, uh, actually, Journal of the American Medical Association pointed out that of the top 48 common brand name prescription drugs over the last six years, they have had a median increase in price of 76%. That's almost 10% of our total national health care expenditures are for these prescription drugs. It's the third largest health care expense for most families. Uh, prescription drugs cost a person on average in inflation adjusted dollars in 1960 cost $90 per person per year. And last year, it was over $1,000 per person. A quarter of Americans say that they have difficulty paying for their drugs. And so Kamala Harris has said, okay, if the drugs are being sold to us at higher prices than they are to OECD countries, the other wealthy countries in the world, then the government is going to actually set the price by any additional, say that there's a, an antibiotic that's selling for nine bucks to fill a prescription in Canada, but it's selling for $15 or $20 in the, let's say $20 in the United States, then $11 of that, the cost of that would be taxed at 100% and then rebated back to consumers. She also wants to do away with tax deductions for TV advertising, uh, direct-to-consumer ex expenses. We and New Zealand are the only two countries in the world that even allow it. She's saying, let's tax this. If companies refuse to go along, she says, the federal government can intervene by importing cheaper alternatives into the United States. This is like taking the rules of capitalism and modifying them slightly to benefit the people instead of the big drug companies who would still be making a fine profit, thank you very much, selling drugs to us at the same price they sell them to Canada or, or Great Britain or France. What's well, your possible objection point. to this? 
<laughs> well, that's the talking point that she uses. You're right. That it seems like a fair trade, but if we just look at Canada alone, they only have about half of the new drug molecules that we have in the U.S. And that's because a lot of the drug research is being done here because the pharmaceutical companies can get their money back from the research. They can actually wait a minute, Charles. You're saying are, are you saying that half the drugs that you can buy in the United States are not available in Canada? That's I'm crazy. Saying half of, I'm saying half of the new molecules, and when you go up to some of the older molecules, you're still talking about the fact that Canada only has 75%. Oh, that's that big pharma right. talking point, Charles. You must have been talking to the pharma lobby. You're talking, about, you're talking about when they take an old-fashioned Prozac and they modify the molecule just slightly so that instead of needing 10 milligrams, you only need 9 milligrams now. Or instead of lasting six hours, it lasts seven hours now. And they're calling it a brand-new drug and getting another, what, 20 years of patent protection so they can jack the price up? Well, I would Tom, think that you Canada know what, would be Tom, very wise in saying no thank you to things like look, that. But but look, I'm not Dr. I'm not Dr. even Hartman, I'm not even no, accepting your assertion. I can't let you get away with that. You're 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 practicing medicine and you shouldn't be. Look, the difference between going to six to nine hours or six to twelve means that somebody has to take medicine less than a day. If you're okay. talking about somebody like my family, where my wife suffers from heartburn every time she takes the medicine, that can be a big deal. If you're talking about insulin something that actually can flatten the insulin for a longer period of time. Okay, let's that stipulate, Charles. I don't want to hear, no, no, uh, I don't hear you discount what a medicine can be worth. First of all, I know, and you know, Charles, you, we both know that the drug companies, are instead of doing new research on new families of drugs, they let you and I pay for that through NIH. We're the ones who develop the actual new drugs. They take existing drugs and tweak them slightly so that they can roll them out as a brand new product and charge a lot more for it. Let's stipulate that and say, okay, that's fine. But if they're going to sell that new product at a higher price, we're going to say, no, you can't do that. We're going to tax the additional cost. And, and we're going to end tax deductions for direct-to-consumer advertising expenses. Back to my original argument. You essentially changed the whole terms of the, of the debate here. I'm saying what's wrong with changing the rules of capitalism in the United States as it has to do with selling drugs so that this one industry that is screwing the citizens of just one country can't do that anymore. Look, you're an entrepreneur, I'm an entrepreneur, and you know what this is doing is called getting wealthy by multiplying to get rich, right? So, of course, if you make up the rules and make up a rule to change capitalism, yeah, it's going to Capitalism like doesn't exist money. without but rules, Charles. Is, no, capitalism... Well, there are rules that dictate capitalism, and that's the supply of course there and demand. Are. If you no, they, they, you got you've got laws against fraud. You've got laws that enforce contracts. You've got laws about what can and can't be sold in the marketplace. There's a thousand different rules to capitalism. Capitalism doesn't that, work that is, without rules. That, that is that are Just not, like that is not what I'm talking about. You're rules. changing the rules of capitalism. You're saying that a government agency can come in and set a price, and that price is somehow going to be magically uh, available to people, that new drugs are going to magically appear to people. And you know as well as I do... I'm not suggesting any magic at all, Charles. It's all going to be driven by the profit motive. I'm just saying that the drug companies can't make more profit on us than they're making on Canada or France or the United Kingdom. No, and I'm saying that and you're they saying can continue to screw the American families, public. I'm saying not only can they, but they should because we are getting twice the, the molecules the that public. Canada is getting. 
twice the new molecules. But, Tom, but, what but families, Charles, Canadians no, Tom, live what longer and are healthier. What families do you want to point to and say that they shouldn't get care? I'll tell you what. Call out a couple of names. I'm, tell I'm me not who believing shouldn't it. get care. I'm no, you know, not believing it. This is health affairs. No, this I'm not believing research. I, I'm no, not believing your talking point. Research. I think it's irrelevant. People in Canada live longer than people in the United States. People in Canada have better health outcomes in the United States. And people in Canada pay a hell of a lot less for drugs than in the United States. So regardless of what may be available to Canadians in the Canadian marketplace, and I'm guessing it probably has more to do with Canadian regulators than with pharmaceutical companies, that's irrelevant. I'm saying here in the United States, the drug companies have figured out a scam, and it's a scam. And you know it's a scam, Charles. You threw to away half of your argument of to make this point, by the way. And you threw away more than half of your argument to get here. You said, look, my whole first opening doesn't make any sense, so I'm going to change and say, look, say the health outcomes are what matters. I'm saying no, that I, the health outcomes are important, but that's why people from Canada fly to Oklahoma to have surgeries. That's why people come from no, Canada don't. to get health care in the U.S. They yes, they don't. do. The number of people who leave the United States to get health care is greater than the number of people who come to the United States to get health care. Simple fact, number one. Oh. And you know it. Look at all the, the dental clinics in Mexico and the surgery clinics in Thailand and in India. I mean, there's countries all over the world that are making a fortune because Americans can't afford our health care, number one. And number two, I've never heard anybody from Canada complaining that drugs are not available there. I can't imagine that drugs are not available there. When you say new molecules, that sounds like some BS big pharma talking point. And I frankly have no idea what you're talking about. I'd have to dig into it. I know. But the, but I know. The, the point, research is but, really hard to understand the, in this. But, but it's the point is, where you should being read. screwed. Okay. Okay, then how would you suggest that we stop getting screwed by these companies? Let's take out the middleman. This is very easy. There's actually an article that I wrote earlier this year on it, and insulin prices have soared. But one of the big pharmaceutical companies actually published the number that they're making on the drugs and said, look, we take responsibility for this high number, but we're paying the middleman, and the middleman is stealing money from us. So it's the pharmacy benefit managers who are actually so one you of want, the major you want problems to, here. Your proposal to regulate capitalism, to alter the rules of capitalism, is to somehow get the middleman out, presumably through taxation or through regulation. My proposal is to simply say, whatever system you guys come up with, it's fine with us. We're not going to we're not going to tinker no. with capitalism at that micro level. Whatever system you guys come up with, fine, but you can't charge American citizens more than you're charging French citizens. No, Tom, you don't need more government to solve how well, you the just, price of a Snickers bar. No, listen to me for a second. We're not you talking don't about Snickers bars. We're talking about the ability of, of people to live bar. or die. Yeah. We're not talking about Snickers bars because government hasn't gotten this in the way. This is life and if death. If government out of the way of Charles, a quarter of Americans can't afford their drugs. We're paying right now $1,000 a year for what we were paying $90 a year for in 1960. And sometimes a Band-Aid is not the best solution. You might be able to help those people now, but are you going to break it for my kids? That's not good. I want to fix the problem for the long run, and that is fixing the market. Yes, exactly. Let's change the rules of capitalism as it has to do with pharmaceuticals. You don't need to change the rules of, far of capitalism. You can't change the rules of capitalism. All right. Good luck with that. Charles Sauer, the Market Institute president, marketinstitute.org. Thank you, Charles. Thank you. Yeah, good talking with you. We'll be back. Bill in Sebastian, Florida. Hey, Bill, what's on your mind today? Thanks for watching Free Speech TV. I don't blame you for getting excited at that gentleman. <laughs> I went through the, the hepatitis C therapy, mm -hmm. and it was $100,000 worth of medicine. Actually, $90,000 worth. 
Right. Well, it's an awful lot of money. They could have given me a house and <laughs> subsidized the house for me, and yeah. I'd feel a hell of a lot better. And yeah, 90000 uh, bucks is a lot of money to pay for a pill. This is where I think that it's entirely appropriate that government play a role in this, that if this company, I mean, literally, Bill, if you, if you still had hepatitis C, then, you know, on an ongoing basis, because it produces inflammation of the liver, on an ongoing basis, your risk of, of liver cancer is radically elevated. I mean, that's the principal outcome of people who have hep C. And now that you're free of that hep C, your probability of getting liver cancer is radically reduced. And that's a good thing. And so, you know, gee, if, if, if that kind of outcome costs a lot of money, I'm all in favor of it. But it doesn't need to cost $90,000. Might it be okay to I only cost $10,000? dollars or four thousand dollars all right I, I just thought i'd share that and, yeah um, okay the the, the the price of and they have another form of medicine with that now too they come out with another one yeah so this has got to be looked into that's homeland security in my opinion that and the purging and the voting rolls get homeland security on that for goodness sakes Thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. Thank you very much, Bill, for the call. This is pretty straightforward stuff what Kamala Harris is uh, proposing. She also said that she would use what are called march-in rights, which is in the law, in the patent law, and it allows the government, if they think that somebody is basically abusing a patent, to take it away and reassign it to somebody else. So if a drug company has developed a drug and they're using that patent for that drug in a way that is not helpful or useful or, or you know, constructive for the well-being of American people, of the American citizens and the American citizenry, then the government can come in and say, okay, you know, uh, Bristol Myers, you're making this drug and you're charging $90,000 a course for it, but your actual cost to manufacture the drug is $200. And, you know, your R&D costs were this or that or whatever, but you can make money selling it at $1,000 a pill. You're just milking it right now while you've got the patent. And so we're going to take that patent away and we're going to assign it to Abbott, you know, which is willing to make the drug and make it available for $1,000, which is, like I said, I'm, I'm pretty sure that I think Harvoni was the name of the drug. I'll have to, to Google this and check it out a little later on, but pretty sure that those Hep C medications are available at a much, much lower cost overseas. This is from Reuters. Uh, this is from uh, November 20th, just last month. Uh, France has negotiated a, a big discount for Gilead Sciences controversy on the new hepatitis drug Solvati. This is a drug that in the United States costs $84,000 or $1,000 a pill. That must be where they got that thousand stuck in my head. It's 84,000. 12 weeks of treatment in France will now cost $51,000. So they got almost half off, let's say a third off, more than a third off. France now has the lowest price in Europe. And also there's a, the drug Harvoni, which is $94,000 in the United States. In France, that's 16,000 euros which would be maybe, what, $19,000, $20,000. So again, it's about one, or not again, I mean, you know, with Harvoni, it's one quarter the price. And with Silvana or whatever it is, it's, it's about a third off the price, two thirds of the price. And how is France able to do this? They have a national healthcare system. So when they sit down with the pharmaceutical companies to figure out what they're going to pay for drugs, they basically say, okay, we're going to buy, according to the Reuters, there's 200,000 people in France, an estimated 200,000 people with hepatitis C. And so they say, okay, we're going to buy 200,000, you know, courses of treatment, which would be you know, a couple million pills. So what's the price for that? 
Whereas here in the United States, the law that was passed during the George W. Bush administration, I believe it was 2003, 4, or 5, it was early on there, where they came up with Medicare Part D, the government will pay for some of our prescription drugs. Medicare will pay for some of the prescription drugs of people on Medicare, people over 65. Billy Towson, the guy who ran the committee in the House of Representatives, they slipped into this bill language that said that Center for Medicare and Health Services, or whatever it's called, cannot negotiate prices the way that France does. They can't do it, period. Sorry, Charlie, not going to happen. And so if you're on Medicare, any person on Medicare, and you have prescription drugs, the amount that the government will pay for those prescription drugs, and by extension, in many cases, the amount that you will pay for those prescription drugs, because you know Medicare doesn't cover everything, or you know sometimes you've got these, you've got this giant donut hole in the middle of two, three, four thousand bucks, whatever it is, you end up paying that, and uh, you know it's like America, we've got a sign around our neck, you know, village idiot in the village of the world, it's just mind-boggling. Vivian in Albuquerque, New Mexico. Hey, Vivian, what's up? Oh, hello. I was abroad in September. I got pneumonia, was in a Munich hospital for six days, and I was charged $3,000. Wow. Wow. Yeah. That's a healthcare system that has its costs under control. And I was well cared for. Yeah. Oh, the German uh, hospitals are spectacular. I mean, oh, yeah. And I I didn't feel unsafe or anything. Yeah. No, they are are so state of the art. Yeah. Okay, well, thank you for sharing that story with us, Vivian. I, I appreciate your calling. I lived in Germany for a year, and we used the healthcare system. We had three kids with us, and, and uh, several of them went to the doctor, and I went to the hospital once thinking I was having a heart attack. Turned out I wasn't. And uh, it's, it was just spectacular, the German healthcare system. Henry in Las Vegas, New Mexico. Wait a minute, Las Vegas, New Mexico? There is a town in New Mexico called Las Vegas, Henry? There's, it's not a big gambling casino in Nevada. Ah, uh, okay. Uh, 14,000 people here. Oh, isn't that great? So what's up? Yeah. Uh, a month ago, I was in Japan. And sometimes if I eat something spicy, uh, let me step back. I'm 80, 87 years old and on no medication at all. Good on you. So, but, but sometimes you eat something spicy and you get heartburn. So here I take a couple of uh, tums and that's it. In Japan, I didn't know if they would sell that under the same name or something else. Uh, Right across the street from my hotel was a small neighborhood medical clinic. Mm -hmm. So I walked over, found a doctor there who was specializing in that field. And I do speak Japanese, but I told the receptionist that medical terms were beyond that. Mm-hmm. She said, don't worry, because he has been in the States for four years. Uh-huh. So I was lucky there. And when I was called into his office, he did a diagnostic interview. Do you smoke uh, mm-hmm. alcohol, et cetera, et cetera. And it went on and on. And then at the end, he said, I will give you a prescription that you only would you need if you have a real dire emergency. So mm-hmm. don't use it just without any need. I said, okay, thank you very much. And then I walked out and went to the receptionist, and she, sa- she asked me, do you have insurance? I said, no, I don't live here. She said, okay, then it will be cash. I said, okay. And she said, that will be $27. For a doctor's visit, uh, a diagnosis, a prescription, 27 bucks in Japan. Yeah. yeah, amazing. And then, and then uh, and when I when they went back to the states, I went over to say goodbye. He did a post 
interview, a shorter one. Oh, so I walked out from that one, and that was ten dollars. Huh. Amazing. And my wife, my my wife goes here annually, in uh, here in New Mexico to a doctor's visit, an annual routine visit, and she walks in. He asks her, "Do you feel good?" "Yes, I feel fine." "Okay, see you next year." Three hundred dollars for an annual physical in the United States. Yeah, it sounds about right. Yeah. We are the nation's village idiots. I mean, we, we've got the dunce cap on. You know, it's it's it, we're we're being taken advantage of. Sixteen yeah. ways to Sunday. I mean, our the for-profit power companies are are screwing homeowners. You got the for-profit health in, industry that's that's taking our money. It's got predatory banksters around every corner. You've got an insurance industry that is doing everything they can to drain our life savings. The scam, the con, the hustle has become the American way of doing business. It's just, it's very, very concerning, Henry. And, and we need a vibrant and alive Democratic Party that will take this stuff on because we haven't been. I mean, you know, Democrats have been complicit in this for a long, long time. Don in Hollywood, Florida. Hey, Don, what's up? Hey, thanks for taking my call, Tom. Sure. I'd like to address the going out of the country for medical treatment. Right. I'm one of like 10% of Americans who holds a U.S. passport. So I've had the privilege of visiting other countries, specifically Costa Rica, where I went to see a dentist for an implant, which I did get for $2,000 instead of for 8000 here. Wow. While I was there, I visited a dermatological clinic. I had some spots. I'm getting older. And um, the nurse said, well, just go in this room here. Please disrobe. The doc will be with you in a moment. The doctor came in, burned 41 spots off my body, gave me the antibiotics, the painkillers, and the anti-inflammatories at the office. When I went to pay the receptionist, I said, you know, I'm thinking this could be a thousand bucks. The lady said, that'll be $58, sir. $58, I'm with three wow. prescriptions, fully filled, plus all the work from the doctor. Costa Rica. Wow. Okay, so they can't lie to me, Tom. Yeah. I've been to Mexico, Costa Rica, I've been to Canada, I've been... You know, I got, that's why I hold a passport. Yeah. And people here are getting so seduced by the BS and the thievery and the out-and-out corruption empowered by the Trump organization. He is everything you said earlier. They are yeah. cowards. They are liars. They are grifters. And people continue to buy it. Well, you know, maybe they deserve it, people to vote like that. But I don't deserve it, Tom. There. I deserve to be treated like I got treated in Costa Rica. And I'm not even a citizen there. There you go, Don. And Costa Rica does have a yeah, they have a national health care system. I, I've told this story before, but it's very brief. Louise and I were in Costa Rica two years ago for some shooting, some scenes for this movie Ice on Fire that's available over on HBO, the climate change movie with Leo DiCaprio. And when we flew into Costa Rica, we took a cab from the airport out to the this spot in the rainforest where we were shooting. It was about a two hour cab ride. And uh, I asked the taxi driver who was a, a guy, you know, I'd say probably in his Mid, mid to late 50s. I said, you know, what's, what's life like in Costa Rica? And he said, oh, this, this is a wonderful country. He said, we have free health care and we have free education all the way up through college. He was telling us a story about how one of his kids was working on his PhD and another one is a doctor. This guy's a cab driver. And he's like, health care is free here for if you're a citizen. And, you know, pharmaceuticals are really, really cheap or, or free, depending on what it is. And education is free. And I'm like, wow, if Costa Rica can do that, why can't the United States do it? It's like we're the village idiots, Don. So... I hear you, Tom. Yeah. I couldn't agree more. Well, you heard my rant. Yeah. But if people could just get a passport, go someplace. <laughs> go. Okay. Countries. My God. I, I, I got it. I got I to move along here, Don, but thank you for the call. Shana in Prairie Grove, Arkansas. Hey, Shana, what's up? 
Hey, Tom, I just wanted to thank you because when I was listening to one of your shows, you talked about going to Mexico for dental work. I did a lot of research because they wanted over $30,000 here for six implants, which I don't have. Whoa. So I did a lot of research. I'm going right across the border. It's an American-owned company, and they're doing it for $3,500. And wow. they even come and pick you up every day and then take you back to your hotel. And I just wanted to thank you so much. You're welcome. So, so you're getting $30,000 worth of medical treatment in Mexico for $3,500 plus the cost yes. of airfare and a hotel, basically. Yes. yes. Wow. That's right. And you just tracked this down on the internet, right? You just searched Yeah, it. I did a lot of, re there's a lot of companies over there, but oh, yeah. uh, I settled, it's an American-owned company, mm -hmm. and you stay in a hotel in El Paso, they come and pick you up every day and bring you there, bring you back to your hotel. And so you stay in the United they, States? Yeah, you're staying in El Paso, right wow. in a hotel. Which is a great town. Yeah. It's a it's a beautiful little yeah. town. I mean just ask yeah. Beto O'Rourke. <laughs> <laughs> That's marvelous. Yeah, so I just want to thank you. And that was in reference to Mr. Sauer's yeah. uh, conversation. And you're right, since then I've I've run into whole well, some people that have gone across the border and are planning on going across the border so yeah thank you you're welcome yeah it's it, it has become a major industry there's a lot of people who leave the united states in order to get health care or pharmaceuticals because they just can't afford them here in the united states and the rest of us who can't you know take the time off work or can't leave the country or don't have a passport we're just kind of at the mercy of these professional ripoff artists who are running the pharmaceutical industry. God bless Kamala Harris for saying we need to do something about it. Dave in Federal Way, Washington. Hey, Dave, what's on your mind? Hey, not too much, Tom. I want to make a comment about your observation that we're the village idiots. I'm not going to insult Charles Sauer because the truth of the matter is he is among the, the orthodoxy that are in this Trump administration, okay? Yeah. And um, his comment about molecules, remember you said, you said, Charles, I don't really understand what you're talking about. Well, that, they made a joke about that molecules comment in the movie Idiocracy. Really? 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 Uh, yeah. Carl's Jr. in the future, in the dystopian future, is selling burgers with more molecules. They're advertising molecules. And, um, wow. I mean, that's the joke. Yeah. Yeah. And also, um, there was a Trump administration official that was on NPR. He literally said it was a fact. Now, he acknowledged that we do need an infusion of foreigners. Okay, he acknowledged that because of our birth rates and death rates and everything. But he did turn around and say that it was a fact. And the NPR host said, okay, it's a fact that the elderly in America would rather be cared for by robots than humans, especially foreign-born humans. And I don't think that is a fact. I know, it's okay? obviously and not then, a fact. <laughs> it's like, I mean, that, yeah. that runs counter to, to all, all the basic tenets of psychology, basically. Is that what Benjamin Franklin wanted? No, it's not. It's, this is, yeah, this is not consistent with the values on which this country was founded. I'm, I'm completely, completely agreeing with you. Thank you very much for the call. Paul in Woodenville, Washington. Hey, Paul, good morning. Tom, let me start in the Medicare prescription drug plan that the Republicans passed in 2005. The one thing about that is, and this will lead into it, is that the subsidies that were for the Affordable Care Act, if you qualified for a subsidy, Obama got $80 billion. Those are the subsidies he got from the pharmaceutical companies to give him $80 billion 
And this is, was the deal. He said, you give me $80 billion because I need, I need $8 billion a year for 10 years. Or we're going to start negotiating drug prices for Medicare. And the pharmaceutical company said, here, here's the $80 billion. Here, okay, right. just here, here's $80 billion. Because it's estimated I mean, they that they're making $60 billion a year in excess profits oh, because Medicare is not negotiating. Yeah. $600 billion well, compare, over a decade. When you compare the pharmaceutical company profits to any other type of industry or any other type of corporation, record profits for most places, even the oil companies, would be 8 9%. If you make 10%, the janitors getting their bonuses. But these companies are making, in some cases, 30 and 35% profit. Right. Uh, and they're doing that because we're giving, them pat- we're giving them a monopoly. It's called a patent. That's right. And, and here's the thing. Is uh, your guest was talking about? Oh, they need to make their research, their R and D costs back. But let me tell you something about how they calculate that. Let's say a company invests a hundred million dollars to to research a drug, and I'll give you. Let me give you an example. The way they calculate it is not the hundred million dollars. What? Uh, let's say it takes 10, 10 years to bring it to market. Right. What they do is calculate how much they would have made essentially in the market if they'd invested that hundred million dollars. They don't say, "Oh, I need to get the hundred million. They say, "I need to get eight hundred million back." That's what they're saying. They 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 don't say, "I just want the hundred million." But yeah, that's how they. That's why they jack up the cost. Now, here's an example: a Thanksgiving dinner conversation. My brother, my brother's wife is a nurse, and she does live culture infusions for people who have, like, immune system problems. Mm-hmm. And uh, one of the things she was talking about is IgG. It's called immunoglobulin G. And I know about this because I... So here's the deal. The other thing that the drug companies get is research from the universities. And I, I knew what IgG was because when I was a bio student at Michigan State in the mid-'80s, I worked in a lab there as an assistant uh, for a guy who was researching IgG. Now, 30-some years later, actually got it out. But guess what, Tom? The infusions are $60,000 a week. Wow. And so here's the attitude of, of the, my, my Republican brother and his wife. Well, not his wife, but my Republican brother said, well, who's paying for that? And we, everybody said, we all are. And he goes, well, what, his attitude went to, what did she do to deserve these infusions? His wife said, well, she was a sheriff's deputy. Well, but how much was she making doing that? Uh, 60, 70 a year? So the value of a person is based on their, their, the value of their humanity, their, 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 their right. eligibility much- to receive treatment for, for a medical condition is a function of how much money they're capable of making in a capitalist marketplace? And I said, and okay, let's see, how much should you be making in order to deserve that? Because she's using $3.1 million a year right now. Right. And so how much should she have been making for over what period of time to even deserve this? The question wasn't, why the hell is it 60000 a week? Right. Why is it 60000 bucks? And I said, what? that's what I brought. I said, why is it 60000 And then his wife said, well, you know, they need like a 1000 um pints of blood to centrifuge out the, enough IgG. And I said, yeah, a thousand pints of donated blood is what they're getting, right? Right. So I said, look at it. I mean, these guys, 
And uh, another more. Well, they may, they may, you know, the Red Cross uh, moves blood around. I mean, you donate blood to the Red Cross and they use it for emergencies. I doubt the Red Cross is selling that blood to drug companies to extract things. No, they're not. They're not selling it. The drug companies are probably buying it. I mean, I, 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 you know, this is one of the one of the situations you have homeless people who are selling blood in order to get enough money for food. Well, not even, right. not, not even just not, homeless people. You've got retired people they're not paying, living in poverty. Tom, they're not paying. The point is they're not paying a lot for it. Right. And the other thing is, is that, uh, for instance, another example is the drops you get for when you have cataract surgery, which I've had, and people have, there are tens of thousands of those every week. And the drops, you get a three milliliter vial that you put in your drops for 10 days. Two hundred and forty dollars. I figured out that's for this. These drops is three hundred and twenty thousand dollars a gallon. Wow! And I asked my, I asked a professor friend of mine. Uh, uh, I said, "What is three hundred twenty thousand a gallon?" He said, "Nothing." He says, "As a matter of fact, ninety-eight, probably more than ninety-eight percent of that is saline." He said, "It's greed. It's greed, and that's all it is. And that's the same with the sixty thousand dollars a week for an infusion. It's greed." Right. And your guest thinks that they need, we need more of that. Good luck. He's saying that people come to Oklahoma from Canada. No, they don't. Yeah. <laughs> Occasionally somebody comes to the United States for treatment, but more people leave the United States for medical treatment than come to the United States. That's just a simple fact. Paul, thanks. Thanks for sharing your story with us. It sounds like you had a, an eventful Thanksgiving. Kevin in San Pedro, California, listening on KPFK. Hey, Kevin, what's up? Hey, uh, Tom, I've been in pain management for 15 years for my back. And I have a friend that's a doctor from Pakistan, and I can go over there and get a stem cell shot, which will hopefully take care of a lot of the degenerative discs. I was offered that same shot here for $8,000 off-label. Right. I can get it over there three to $500. Three to $500. Wow, that's amazing. Kevin, i got to move along, but uh, thank you for the call. Shirley in Alamogordo, New Mexico, watching us on Free Speech TV. What's up? Oh, hi. I just wanted to call and make a comment about your guest, mm -hmm. the libertarian guy. Yeah, Charles Sauer. Yeah, okay. I'm a healthcare provider, and I've been working in the healthcare industry for since 1990. Mm -hmm. I'm a registered dietitian and a certified diabetes educator. Okay. And one of the things I have learned over the years is a lot of people are taking a lot of medications that they don't need to be taking. Which is a whole other reason, issue where you've got the pharmaceutical companies spiffing the doctors, giving them all, you know, expenses paid mm -hmm. vacations and, and to, quote, medical conferences because doctors have to have these continuing medical education credits just like lawyers do. And so they do these fancy conferences and then they come around and they give them, all, you know, all, all kinds of goodies and buy them meals and, uh, you know, and encourage them to prescribe drugs that people probably only marginally need. Forgive my interruption, Shirley. No, that's okay. Um, one of the things I've seen them taking a lot of that they don't need is what's called a PPIs, protein pump inhibitors. Right. Those, those are, are like, the drugs that, that are used for uh, uh, GERD and acid reflux and yes. stuff like that. Mm -hmm. You know, when people eat and they get heartburn. Right. And instead of looking back and looking at what I ate, is that causing the heartburn? Right. They want to get another pill. Right. And the thing is, it started on higher, higher, higher um, potency pills. And now one of the things I'm starting to see as a dietitian is I'll have people coming in with gastroparesis, which used to be just like a side effect of diabetes or mm. something like that. But these people with absolutely no history of diabetes but have been on PPIs for 10 years. 
Whoa. All of a sudden showing up with gastroparesis because... What is gastroparesis? They, that's when the paralysis of the stomach and that it's not moving the food through oh. as effectively as it used to. Whoa. The reason diabetics get it is they have that uh, nerve disorders when the uncontrolled diabetes will cause uh. all variations of nerve disorders, and that's one of them. Right. And I'm starting to see it with the PPIs because they get put on them and they never get taken off. Yeah, and there's they and, and two things about two things about the PPIs. One is that your first defense, the first defense of your body against ingested bacteria that might be bad for you, is high levels of acid in the stomach, and mm -hmm. and and it in per, carnivorous animals it's even much higher than it is for us. We're we're largely herbivorous, which is why turkey vultures, you know, can eat dead meat that's clearly contaminated and not get sick. And so by reducing that acid, you're actually increasing your risk of food poisoning, number one. And number two, the PPI drugs are the ones that have been contaminated with rocket fuel. They're made in India or China or something, Shirley. Have you heard about that? No, I haven't heard about that one. Of course, yeah. I try not to tape it myself. But. Yeah, it's a good plan. Okay, Shirley, thank you for the call. I, you know, it's an excellent point. And I would say that the reason why people are taking these proton pump inhibitors, these anti-acid drugs, the proton pump is the mechanism by which acid goes into the stomach. So you, you, call, you quiet those down, essentially, and you're quieting down the levels of acid in the stomach, which is not a good thing to do. It's not a healthy thing to do. But all, look at all the advertising. We're told, oh, you need this drug. You got an upset stomach? You know, and the guy's looking at a piece of pizza, right, in the commercial. Got an upset stomach? Here, take this. How about not eating that kind of pizza, right? If pepperoni gives you upset stomach, don't eat it anymore. This is the Tom Hartman Program. Our book today in the Tom Hartman Book Club is No Visible Bruises, What We Don't Know About Domestic Violence Can Kill Us by Rachel Louise Snyder. I'm reading from the preface. This is page four. Suzanne and I exchanged small talk on her brother's driveway that day in 2010. She and the family were still in preparation and packing mode for their annual camping vacation into the hinterlands of Maine. And Suzanne had been greeted by her brother Andre with a long shopping list. She had told me she worked for a domestic violence agency in town and that they had recently developed a new program that she was calling the Domestic Violence High Risk Team. Their primary aim was simple, she said. We try to predict domestic violence homicides before they happen so we can prevent them. It sounded immediately implausible. So implausible, in fact, that I thought I'd misheard some elemental piece of it. Predict, I remember saying? You said predict domestic violence homicides? I had come across domestic violence in my reporting over the years, not only in Cambodia, but also in places like Afghanistan, Niger, and Honduras. But it had never been a focus for me. Instead, it was always adjacent to whatever other story I was writing, so much so that it was practically banal. The young girls jailed for love crimes in Kabul, the Indian child brides who gave interviews only in front of the men who controlled them, the Tibetan women forcibly sterilized by the Chinese government, the teenage brides in Niger cast from their villages after post-pregnancy fistulas made them pariahs, the Romanian women forced to birth multiple children under Ceausescu and who now in their early 30s were grandmothers fated to poverty, the Cambodian street workers beaten and gang-raped for weekend sport by well-heeled Khmer teenagers. All of these women in every country were brutalized and controlled by men as a matter of routine. Men made the rules, primarily through physical violence. It was there, lurking in practically every story I'd ever covered around the world, a shadowy background so obvious I didn't even have to ask about it most of the time. It was as common as rain. 
Until that moment in the driveway with Suzanne Dubas, if I thought of domestic violence in the United States at all, I saw it as an unfortunate fate for the unlucky few, a matter of bad choices and cruel environments. A woman hardwired to be hurt. But I never envisioned it as a social ill, an epidemic we can actually do something about. Now here was Susan Dubas talking about preventative measures for a type of violence that, for the first time, I saw operating along a continuum. The young girl in India married as a child, the Tibetan woman sterilized, the Afghan woman jailed, the housewife in Massachusetts brutalized by her husband. They all shared a common privation, what domestic violence victims across the world lacked, agency in their own lives. The forces that brought a Cambodian prostitute to the brink of death were the same forces that killed thousands of women and children and men, but mostly women and children, across America and the entire globe every year. An average, in fact, of 137 women each and every day are killed by intimate partner or familial violence across the globe. And this does not include men or children. Everything in my body suddenly came alive that day. I saw all the faces of women around the world from over two decades of work, and I realized how rarely I'd gazed inward at my own country, at what we got wrong and what it meant. The universality of domestic violence and how it crisscrosses geographical, cultural, and linguistic barriers. Maybe all those other stories were in preparation for the day that I'd meet Paul Monson and look at the mountains from his living room windows. I ended up following Suzanne to the farmer's market and then to the grocery store and then to the liquor store as she prepped for her camping trip. I helped her carry ice and peaches and hamburger meat. I asked question after question while she drove and while her mother Pat sat in the passenger seat chiming in here and there. How did it work? How many have you stopped? What else can you predict? My questions were vast and endless. Like many people who hold a casual acquaintance with a problem, I believed all the common assumptions. That if things were bad enough, victims would just leave. That restraining orders solved the problem. And that if a victim didn't show up to renew a restraining order, the problem had been solved. That going to a shelter was an adequate response for victims and their children. That violence inside the home was something private, unrelated to other forms of violence perhaps most notably mass shootings. The lack of visible injury signaled a lack of seriousness. And perhaps most of all, that unless we stand at the receiving end of a punch, such violence had nothing to do with us at all. Over the next few years, Suzanne Dubas and her colleague Kelly Dunn patiently taught me about the scope and history of an issue that still today is too often hidden. I learned why past approaches had failed and what we could do more effectively today. Between 2000 and 2006, 3,200 American soldiers were killed. During that same period, domestic homicide in the United States claimed 10,600 lives. This figure is likely an underestimate, as it was pulled from the FBI's supplementary homicide reports, which gather data from local police departments, and participation is voluntary. Twenty people in the United States are assaulted every minute by their partners. Former UN Secretary General Kofi Annan called violence against women and girls the most shameful human rights violation. And the World Health Organization called it a global health problem of epidemic proportions. A study put out by the United Nations Office on Drugs and Crime cited 50,000 women around the world were killed by partners or family members in 2017 alone. 50,000 women. The UNODC report called home the most dangerous place for women. The book, No Visible Bruises, by Rachel Louise Snyder. Linda, in uh, California City, California. Hey, Linda, what's up? Hi, Tom. I just wanted to point out 
that almost everything you've said today is irrelevant to over half the people in the country because we can't afford Medicare. A lot of people that I know, and myself included, I haven't had Part B, which allows you to go to the doctor and get an office visit paid for. I haven't had Part B for 10 years. Why not? Because I can't afford it, Tom. But they... Uh, but- but they, did, uh, they, I, they deduct it from your Social Security, right? Yes, but please, I'll try to make this as quick sure. as I can. About two years ago, uh, you made an offhand comment that just amazed me because you're right 99.9% of the time. You were talking about mortgages. And you said, well, you know, if somebody has a hundred thousand, it was just an offhand remark. If somebody has a hundred thousand dollar house, they're paying what, $300 a month in mortgage, something like that. You said that a couple of years ago. The market value of my house is $85,000 and I have been paying $1,100 a month for 22 years. Southern California Edison, before I got solar panels, was charging me six Seven and literally even eight hundred dollars a month. I can show you for electricity. For electricity, yes, sir. Wow. And I I got zero down solar panels, and now I'm only paying sixty two percent of my total gross income for mortgage and electricity. Wow. Before the solar panels, I was paying seventy six percent. Right. So the bottom line, Linda, is that you're saying that because uh, the Social Security income you have is as low as it is. And 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 I have a a small pension from the state of California. My income is 32,000 a year. And at that, you can't afford to pay for the Medicare Part B, which is what, $150 a month, more or less? It was it, 10 years ago, it was 104. And I was I was having to take that out of my food budget. Wow. I wasn't eating yeah. because I couldn't afford the Medicare. Yeah. See, I, I, I'm, I'm strongly of the opinion that if people are, uh, you know, old enough to retire, if they're if they qualify for Social Security, that they should not be paying into or paying for Medicare any longer. That, that no, Medicare should be free. No, it shouldn't cost us anything. Yeah. And, but, and a lot, 40 percent of the country can't afford a $400 expense. You've said that many you're times. Right, you're this right. is This is part of why. Because our survival level expenses are so outrageously high, it's so predatory, that right. once we pay the survival expenses, there's nothing left. Or the flip side of that, Linda, would be that our social safety net benefits are so outrageously low that people can't afford their expenses. I mean, you could, you could take it from either side, but, but I get your point, and it's well made, and I'm, I'm so sorry to hear that you don't have Medicare Part B. I hope we can change that. Linda, thank you for the call. Thanks for correcting me on mortgages. You're listening to Tom Hartman. Marsha in Santa Rosa, California. Hey, Marsha, thanks for watching Free Speech. What's up? Good morning. Good morning. I'm listening to you about relationships, and I've been um, a counselor for a long time. Maybe I can reframe. I thought I'd be an anomaly calling about not having Medicare Part B. Mm-hmm. And there was a Linda from Southern California here. I'm in Northern. So I'm going to see if I can put those things together. Um, I think that I have my cry for uh, being uh, more than disgruntled with a relationship 
was not only with our health care system in this country, but with allopathic medicine. I am uh, one of those strange souls who is very natural and holistic and very sensitive by nature, including to a lot of environmental kinds of things. And I've, over the years, uh, being self-employed and being artistic and being sort of a weirdo, have learned to use wild plants and all kinds of natural things to take care of myself. Mm -hmm. And I never made a lot of money. So I lived frugally and saved every cent I could, like a good girl. And I'm now 74. When I was 62, I went on early Social Security, not knowing how long I would live since my parents died around age 70. And... Um, lost 20% of what I would have had in Social Security. Right. So with my musician's union pension and an annuity from an IRA that I have to take and my Social Security, that's only $1,000 a month, which pays for the roof over my head in California. Mm -hmm. So everything else that I have to spend, which would include health care costs, come out of what I make going out doing music and exercise for senior communities. Wow. So the upshot of all of that is Medicare Part B charges 10% penalty per year, and it's not on what it was when I was 65, it was 104 a month. It's going up to 144 mm. in 2020, and they charge, nine, well, however many years, I've got nine years, so it's almost double, and so I still can't get in, but because I was such a responsible little citizen saving money, I have way too much to qualify for any kind of assistance, right. but if something actually happens to me, if my, my uh, metaphysics <laughs> and my mindfulness meditation that keeps me uh, pretty... Um, expecting good things and blessings rather than looking for disasters. If I have something go wrong, I will be bankrupt. Yeah. So there are, I'm sure, lots of people like me who, like Linda, um, don't have a lot of income to afford paying, you know, premiums just to get Medicare, which in my case pays for allopathic medicine largely. Right a system that I rejected a long time ago. So even though I'm healthier than most people and, you know, in very good shape for 74, America has failed me totally, so I'm single. Yeah. So your cry unheard is that you can't basically live on Social Security, basically. Um, no, right. not at all. I have and $450 a month of Social Security. Yeah, I get it. Marsha, thank you for the call. Dave in Columbus, Ohio. Hey, Dave, what's on your mind today? I'm a clinical psychologist. I know a whole lot about this stuff. So first, with like the one person you could talk, I already talked about it, it's not a free market right. because they have to get a, a prescriber to prescribe, et cetera. The second is, well, the, insur the uh, pharmaceutical companies will not produce new drugs because of profit, et cetera. Right. And you know about um, taxes. Well, a company takes their research and design costs right from their growth, essentially the profits has already passed research. Right, those are, those are deductible expenses, R&D. Right, yep. no one talks about that. And that 
two other things is the FDA in the last maybe 25 years or so, it used to be that your new drug has to be better than an existing drug. Now it's, it just has to be better than placebo. Whoa. So, so, so they can develop a, quote, new version of an old drug that is less effective than the old drug and bring it to market and advertise it like crazy and, and people will buy it. Well, no, not that. They can get a brand new drug, say like antidepressants, say like, say right. like Zoloft or something, right? Right. And then they want to put up, like, say, Paxil. Well, it used to be Paxil had to be better than Zoloft. Now it doesn't. Right. It just has to be better than placebo. Right. It just has to beat a sugar pill. Yeah, I got it. Exactly. Dave, thank you for the call. Julia in Auburn, Washington, listening on KBCS. Hey, Julia, what's on your mind today? Hi, thanks for taking my call. Sure. So you're um, talking about how Democrats are missing wake-up calls, and mm -hmm. uh, one that I see everywhere is uh, families affected by autism. And, and you know, wow. the stats are are getting closer and closer. Now it's one in 49 boys and one in 50-something girls. And if you throw in ADD and ADHD, it's, it's, and it's going to get closer and closer and closer. It's like a huge J curve, and nobody, nobody's talking about it. And even movies like Vax, Mm. And now Vax Two is coming out. Okay. They can't. Even, the corporate media is clenching down on information. In order to go see Vax Two, you have to buy a ticket online, and they can't even acknowledge where the movie is going to be be shown. You, you get um, you get notice of it huh. after you buy a ticket because the information is so powerful. And, 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 you know, the producer, I, I forget the name, Dell, somebody. Yeah, he's been um, on the show. You know, used to be, right, used to be in corporate media, you know, found out about this and devoted his time to it. But, you know, people, they can't even talk about. Yeah, uh, and, and let's, Julia, let's make it very clear. Um, nobody is suggesting that the vaccine themselves are causing autism. They're suggesting that the mercury load from the Tamarasol um, uh, preservative that's put in these vaccines, uh, that that load, that that mercury load is getting so high because we've gone from a few vaccines to a whole lot of vaccines. Do I have that right? Correct, correct. The, the neurological system of an infant cannot handle and detox and manage the, the number of vaccines that infants are getting. Right. And, and also, if somebody were to pre-medicate their child with Tylenol because they don't want their child to get, to get a fever, mm -hmm. then they're basically squelching the immune system so that they're injecting these um, viruses, bacteria, and other things, you know, um, toxins, into an infant, and then suppressing the immune system, giving them nothing to fight it with, and then it crosses over the blood-brain barrier, and then the child is disabled. And, 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 and no one's talking about that. And yeah. no one's talking about... It's a verboten topic. It. I can, I can yeah. tell you, you know, right now that, uh, you know, from, from having had Dell on the show, it was like two years ago, I think. And uh, boy, the blowback you get, you know, oh, you're an anti-vaxxer. I mean, I, I've had Bobby Kennedy on talking about this and he's like, I'm vaccinated. My kids are all vaccinated. I'm just saying, let's make vaccines safe. You know, we all, you know, vaccines and, and, uh, and uh, clean water, you know, uh, chlorinated water 
are the are probably the two biggest advances in public health in the history of the human race. You know, I, even Dell is. You know, I'm in favor of vaccines. Let's just make them safer. Let's not have them harming people. So, I'm I'm with you, uh, Julia. Thank you very much for the call. It's it's. Uh, Autism, the autism explosion or epidemic, I think, really is something that we need to be paying attention to. You're absolutely right. Paul in Glenside, Pennsylvania. Hey, Paul, thanks for watching Free Speech on your Roku box. What's up? I wanted to talk about some of the other costs that'll, that are going to go away with um, Medicare for All. Okay. I'm about to write my uh, auto insurance policy premium, and I, I pay every six months. Well, one of the line items on there is medical coverage. Right. And, you know, if you think about it, I mean, I haven't been in any, you know, god-awful accidents, but you see, you see them on the news every night. Uh, the car is worth less than the hospital bill for a family, you know, of two or three or four people in the car, even if they just go in, you know, for 24 hours or they have a broken arm, which is bad, right. but, you know, it could be a lot worse. Or even if you had a little That's fender the, bender and you were concerned that maybe you had whiplash and you should find out right away. Yeah, and, you know, what what happens is when you go in there and they want to know about your insurance, your insurance company will immediately say, well, you were in a car accident. We're not going to cover it, right. your auto insurance. And then you get into a battle, I mean, you know, between your car insurance company and your Blue Cross or, you know, whoever you have. The other thing was, and you're a small businessman, I you know, I was too, uh, about 30 years ago, I had a small health food store and restaurant, and I had people who worked as cooks. I had to write a check for $25,000 for workers' comp. That was back in 1991. Yeah. I don't even want to think about what it is today. Um, again, if you get hurt and you present the bill, the insurance company would, and wants to know, did you get hurt at work? Were you in a car act? They, they go through this way, mean, sort of a means test. Right. These are ways, these are exclusionary, these are exclusionary gotchas, basically. Yeah, and, and, and the cost burden of, of health care is, is a junk fee in your automobile policy because, you know, it's not a, a big portion of it, but it's in there. Mm-hmm. It doesn't really need to be. I mean, if you have a major health insurance policy, why are you getting this junk fee in your automobile policy? It's ridiculous. Right. And the workers' comp, it's, it, it's, it's the same thing. Um, most people, if you're going to get hurt, early in life, you're either going to be in an auto accident or you're going to get hurt at work. I mean, most people aren't dying of cancer at 25 right. or have back problems by then. So and that comes later on in life. If it, you know, if That's it a good point. So the health insurance companies, have, they succeeded with Medicare in getting rid of the cost of caring for people over 65. That was a very expensive population. That was LBJ's sales pitch to the health insurance companies, support us on this. And so they got rid of uh, older people who were less profitable for them. And, and you're pointing out that through by, by shifting workman's comp and, and uh, medical insurance with regard to car accidents, they've also gotten rid of the two major things that injure young people, which is their most profitable market. So they get to keep all the profits from those younger people. Exactly. That's yeah. You're absolutely right, Paul. It's, and we'll save a ton, we'll save a ton of money with Medicare for all, getting rid of those junk. Oh, you're, you're absolutely right. And it's amazing how they've just kind of schemed and worked the system over the years. When you think about it, it's just it's pretty remarkable. Paul, thanks a lot for the call. Yeah. 
We'll be back with more of the news and more of my thoughts and yours in this uh, kind of national town hall meeting we have here every day on the Tom Hartman program. And in the meantime, don't forget, democracy is not a spectator sport. Never was intended to be. It requires you. So get out there, get active, tag, you're it. We'll see you tomorrow. You've been listening to Tom Hartman. For audio and video archives, visit TomHartman.com. 